Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly Talk and Footy episode. Uh, this week, got a very special guest, former NRL star and current Dragons NRLW coach, Jamie Soward. Jamie, welcome on the podcast, mate. I was um, really happy to get you on to have a chat about footy. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. I've, um, yeah, obviously been pretty busy, but um, since we caught up with the NBA, it's been a full season, but um, yeah, I think... It's uh, it's good time to catch up and talk some footy. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of that, I guess we should mention that you're a big Boston Celtics fan. Are you over <laughs> the final series or are you still uh, upset? <laughs> yeah, hasn't been a great year for me in grand finals, has it? Um, no, nah, I think, yeah, you look at you can look at it a couple of ways. You know, we made it there. We've got some good young talent. And, yeah, the Warriors were an exceptionally good team and the way that Steph played, so... Um, yeah, it was a good series to watch. Obviously, wanted to win, but that's not the case. Yeah, I was really impressed. And, and not to segue too much from the footy talk, but a lot of people know I'm a mad basketball fan as well. I was really impressed with your with your mob. I didn't think, you know, the first half of the season, you were struggling to, make, to be in the eight for the Eastern Conference playoffs. And um, then halfway through, just flicked a switch. And guys like Tatum are 23 and, and Brown's only 24. So that's great for the future for you guys. Yeah, we probably need another couple of pieces in our depth. You know, we need a, a big guy who can score the ball a little bit. I think Williams has been good defensively, but we probably need that extra option scoring-wise. You know, Al's not going to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, that balance of smart and white worked out. So they'll have to add some pieces in the off-season. Yep. Yeah, well, bright stuff ahead for the Celtics. But talking about American sports, Jamie is also one of the hosts on the Moving the Chains NFL podcast. And that'll be coming out uh, pretty soon with the NFL season a couple of months away. So um, so look out for that one, Jamie. Moving the Chains, NFL, you into all the American sports. <laughs> yeah, the boys, uh, myself, Chad Townsend, Trent Copeland and Nick Davis, I think it's our third year doing it now with, uh, with Top Sport. Um, we'll be back probably the last week of August, I'd say, um, doing something to, to get around for week one of the NFL. But... Yeah, it's a, it's a fair bit of more banter than anything else. Um, you know, the boys are right into it and, you know, we've loved doing the, the Moving the Chains podcast, um, you know, with our sponsors and, and it's been great the last couple of years. So looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, everyone that's into the NFL, you can tune into that one with Jamie and Cohen. Jump on the Moving the Chains podcast. A lot of fun. Um, but everyone's jumping on this one, especially if you're doing it for the first time. We do have a Supercoach episode every week. This week, there was no Supercoach episode, so I apologise. I know the Supercoach episodes are huge and everyone waits for them, but that'll be back next week. Tuesday, TLT Supercoach will be recorded, and then like this one at the end of the week, we'll do a talking footy episode, just talking about footy. But, Jamie, first things first on the agenda, you obviously had your first year as the St. George Laura Dragons NRLW coach. That's fantastic. And not only that, was it your first year of coaching, but you actually got to the grand final with the girls. So pretty fair effort from yourself and also um, full credit to all the girls as well. It was a great first year. Obviously, the Broncos have have dominated the women's competition since it started, really. But it was a huge effort for you guys and for you. Yeah, it was a new experience for me. Uh, I didn't think I'd love coaching as early as what I did um, with those girls in season one. Now, when I took the job, I 
I wanted to achieve a couple of things and that was we're going to be competitive and we're going to be highly skilled and um, you know, the girls started to play some really good footy towards the end and you know we didn't get it done uh, against the Roosters in the grand final but I felt like we're probably the better team you know, throughout the year um, um, you know, with the competition the way that it is right now it's allowing um, the dreamers out there to the, the Broncos haven't got this stranglehold plus more teams coming in next year so I was really happy uh, for the girls, the way that we competed um, and our skill level throughout season one. Yeah, I almost automatically said the Broncos just because they've been in every one of them until then. <laughs> I should remember it was my Roosters that actually got through and beat you. Know, I was a bit torn on that grand final because obviously I'm a lifelong Roosters fan. Um, so I obviously support the girls team, but like I you know, loved what you were doing and wanted to see you win as well. So it was a bit of a tough one. But um, look, you've got really good... You're looking really good for the future at the moment. You've just had... Uh, Tegan Berry, um, Holmes, Paige McGregor, and uh, Tegan Dimmick all, all re-signed, which is great. They're all under 23 too, so they're youngsters. That's a that's a pretty formidable five that you managed to re-sign recently for next season and yeah. also beyond, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, the big thing, you know, for us with season two being so short, the turnaround, is to try and get as many of those girls that we had in season one that we wanted back for season two. So, now, we sent out 19 offers out of the original 24 that we had from season one. A um, couple of girls, uh, we decided to, to go a different direction and a couple of girls weren't going to play. Um, and then you look at that, we're able to get 17 girls back and that includes Emma Tonogato, uh, the four young girls you mentioned, Kezi Apps, Keely Davis, um, Paige McGregor, you know, all those nucleus of that squad plus one of our development girls in Salma Nur, who, so, yeah, for us, you know, we've gone from outsourcing everything um, at the Dragons to being a retention and a destination club. And you know, I'm really proud of that, that we've set the culture and the standards there. So when you get an Emma Tonegato who wants to come back and play um, at your club, it means that you're doing something right and we're able to do that for season two. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Fantastic. And, Look, first year, obviously, coaching, like like I said, you obviously had a stellar NRL career. What did you find coaching the women's competition? What did you find with the game that was most different between the NRL and the NRLW for you? Yeah, I think the NRLW at the moment is still in its infancy um, around you know, different styles and different ways to look at it. And when I took the job, I said to the girls, I, you know, I don't coach female rugby league. I, I coach rugby league. So, yeah. Yeah, it was probably a little bit direct for them in my approach, um, which, you know, at times I had to, you know, I dropped the hammer a lot, but, you know, I didn't know any other way. So my intensity and my emotion comes from a place of care and and for these girls to, to want to be the best. So the big difference for me was their actual real attentiveness and their willingness to learn. Um, and then you have a look at the other side of it, with the NRL, you know, the boys are there day in, day out. It's their job. They can become a bit um, meticulous and brain dead, I guess, at certain stages throughout the year as, as the long season is with the NRL. But the girls, because they are working and it's part-time, but they realise that they want to make this professional, they're probably a lot more attentive. And in terms of the game style, I think that, you know, it's a lot more um, chancy because the girls are still learning some of the skills. So there's not has much structure. Um, so they're just playing exactly what's in front of them, which is great too. But I think the the, the part that I loved is that their willingness to learn and, and throw themselves into to something new and, 
you know, we tried a few things at the Dragons in season one where probably the girls hadn't been used to in terms of training, but also ways that they saw the game and, you know, they were able to execute that, which is good. Excellent. Well, I think that fits in quite well for you to coach them. I mean, I think I always thought when you were coming through the junior ranks and also at the start of your career, you were definitely a half that sort of played what was in front of you and stuff. Obviously, the NRL structure beat you down like it does with every other half and you have to fit into some systems sometimes. But um, look, that almost makes the women's game a little bit more appealing in different ways because it is such a different type of footy that you can watch. Um, And not having that structure and everything, I think that's some of the appeal. Uh, And I think that's really great in the women's game that you get to see that. And it's almost a little bit like... I know a lot of fans, including me, sometimes like watching New South Wales Cup or even A-grade footy in the park and stuff. And it's obviously um, not at the professional level that you get the NRL at, but it is that completely different style, isn't it, where you, you like watching it because it is a bit unpredictable and you do get to people see players just playing footy, which is an old cliche, but there is really something to that as a fan and as someone that's watching it apart. Yeah, well, there's their excitement level of the unknown, you know, with when you go and watch an under-16s boys game, you know, the bounce of the ball, there's no real structure. They're just out there playing footy. And then I sort of translate that to the NRLW where there's a lot of girls that are still learning their craft and wanting to learn it, but also just taking taking it on and learning on the run, which is also exciting. So not as exciting in the coach's box, but, um, you know, definitely for the game to grow, I understand that, you know, that, the girls, the best way they can learn is by playing. So, yeah, I understand the fact that they're going to be mistakes because they do play footy um, at times and I don't want to take that footy out of them. I think that, you know, sometimes young first graders get into first grade and it's exciting and new and, you know, the coach, you lose one game and sometimes you forget why you're actually in first grade. So I've got to keep reminding myself how I felt as a player and probably why I, you know, I took to it really well is, you know, I can relate to you know, how I felt when the coach would talk to me uh, like that to, to try and, you know, um, limit what I saw on the field. And, you know, I said to the girls, I don't care what we do, but we just have to have a reason why we're doing it. So if you want to chip and chase from your own 10, you go for it. But, you got to understand why we're doing it. And I think if you understand why you're doing something, uh, it'll give you perspective of how that fits into when and how and, you know, what we're doing it for and, and all that kind of stuff versus just doing a chip and chase because you can. So if you can get that why and, you know, understanding that, it'll help you with your team, but it'll also help you with your game. And you mentioned a bit earlier um, in the questions that, uh, you know, it's it's a short season. The girls obviously aren't fully professional like the NRL is. And it is such a short season. It's going to be done within a few months, including Origin and everything else when you factor that in, I guess. But what, did you find that really difficult when you got, you know, a regular season of five games and, you know, then final series and stuff? You know, I, I, I like what the NRL did. And we're going to talk about expansion in a minute as well, the NRLW. But I did like what the NRL did initially uh, because I was really, I'm very critical of the AFL model of just throwing up a huge amount of teams and building on that quickly year on year because I think that you can see that the expansion, the talent level and the amount of players haven't been able to keep up with the expansion and that then comes into the quality. And then unfortunately, if you kind of get off on that bad foot, um, you can shoot yourself badly as far as that league's growth and development and also fans coming on board. So I really was a fan of the NRL starting off pretty slow on it. But it did sort of get to the second year and I sort of thought, oh, it's, it's not very many games. And now 
we're obviously a few years in and it's still a very short season. Now, obviously, that's going to expand. But as a coach and also from the players' perspective as well for the girls that were playing, you know, is it really, is it difficult having to prepare for that shorter season? Um, and I would imagine the girls are yearning for a much longer one. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I'll probably look at it both ways because, you know, this year is a unique year where the girls have been training from last November and they'll be playing until past November. So it's a big 12-month block of training and footy and, you know, talking footy and being around footy and all that kind of stuff. So I think the five games, it's certainly cutthroat and you want it to be longer, but also understanding that we're trying to grow the game. And, you know, if we did play 26 rounds, like, you know, is it marketably viable? Are the girls able to leave their job? You know, so I sort of think it's it's got a bit of substance to it at the moment where, you know, it's exciting. I've got ideas around how you could grow the game and, you know, maybe everyone hosts a triple header. I thought that was exciting at Newcastle and at Wollongong when we had it because all the teams are there and you can come and watch footy and you can show young females the pathways to the NRLW. But also realising that if we expand too quickly with the games, you know, what does that look like for girls that aren't on massive money who have to sacrifice three nights a week uh, training and all that kind of stuff? And I get that they're in a really good situation at the moment because there's a lot of part-time NRL players that are doing it tough and training and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's a little bit different, the cash uh, component of it. So you can look at it like it's exciting. I think over the five weeks when we go to 10 teams next year, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out with the draw. Um, if you play each other once, you know, there's nine, 10 rounds plus finals. So, you know, it, it starts to stretch out to a 12, maybe 16-week season because you're going to have to have a pre-season in there as well, plus the, the girls are playing in their state competitions. So, again, it's not getting any less the rugby league, but we've just got to be careful that with only short pre-season. See, the men get three months to prep their bodies for 26 rounds. You know, my girls are getting five weeks to prep themselves for five games. Now, people would say, well, it's only five games, but they're not training all day and resting. They're working and then playing. Yep. Yeah, or training at night. It'd be it'd be really hard to get yourself to peak too, right? Because even when with the men, and even you'd know, like you could train for three months, but a couple of games to sort of get your legs under you and your footy fitness and stuff and whatever. Yeah. Like, well, that was probably the difference. Like, I remember going up to Newcastle to play the Titans, and already I was thinking, if we lose, we might not make the finals. Which is just crazy, normal, isn't it? That's yeah. the kind of. Yeah, which which kind of worked in our favour because we were intense and it was a full purpose. So, but it's also you know not great that you could have not one good day and and you could be out of the out of the finals. You know what I mean? So it'd be interesting to see how it is going forward. Yeah, I, I felt for some of the women's teams for that reason because there is a bit more luck involved than what there is in some other competitions just because, like you said, I mean, you, you could cop a suspension for two rounds or an injury. That's it's only a month yeah. injury, which in you know normal NRL terms is, is relatively okay. You, you miss three or four games. With NRLW players missing most of the season, so all, all that makes it. We had three girls break their hands. It was oh, unheard yeah. of. The, the physiotherapist had never seen it in the first. We had two in the first game. Uh, I mean, Tarlay Holmes and, and Kezi Atz both broke their hand, and then the next week. Uh, oh, sorry, and uh, Jamie Chapman had fractured her wrist the next week and then Tegan Dimmick broke her hand in week three. So 
you take four players out of your squad and you had the name 21 every week, like there's some weeks there we had them just name Tarlay, even mm. though we knew deep down. I mean, she went in for surgery. So <laughs> the week that I named her, she was on the surgery table. And, and that, you know, we need to look at that because, um, you know, suspensions and you know, injuries and all that kind of stuff is going to happen. But, you know, for the game to grow, we need to have some perspective on that as well around the suspensions and stuff like that. Better point system because you can't grade a lot at the NRL. So, yeah, there's. I think everything everything's happening so fast in the NRLW space, and it's exciting, and everyone's really pumped. And but we just need to be careful that it's not going to just be a flash in the pan. And we understand that it is a different level of uh, games per season, and how you someone suspended, and if they're injured, and and all that kind of stuff, because it, it can take its toll. Like if you're injured and you can't work we don't pay you any extra money mm. and we still expect you to recover. So I just think we, we just need to, to keep wanting to be as best set up as we can, especially with the 10 teams next year. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about that. So obviously we're going up pretty fast, um, but it's probably about time as well in a lot of ways. Um, there's been a lot of clubs that have been itching to get a, a women's team in the NRLW uh, and now we're up to 10. So we've got the four teams being added up to 10. Now, for me, the sweet spot, I think, is is around about 12 games. I mean, I think that that would be ideal. And I think that, that gets towards more of a, I don't want to disrespect the, the season's past, but more of a proper season um, where you don't have as much injuries or luck involved and things like that or, or things that can be disappointing for the players and the coaching staff. So 12, to me, seems pretty good. Um, and it also seems like it's, it's long enough to get to get fans a bit more rusted on rather than be um, a bit of an exhibition month or so. It also is one of those things where I can kind of dream to when, you know, me and you were, were growing up because we're similar ages and you used to be able to see all the grades in one day type of thing. You know, I think that's always going to be the dream, right, where you get maybe the NRLW start sort of 50% of the uh, 50% mark through NRL season. Um, but then at that point you've got, the NRLW playing, um, the second grade playing, and then the, the NRL playing the headliner match. I mean, I think that's that's sort of ideal. And maybe with the 10 teams, we kind of get to that. But obviously with the 10 teams, there's going to be a lot more players involved as well. And it's also going to um, really be interesting to see how the talent pool can stretch because there's been a lot of work on grassroots and pathways the last decade, um, even before there was an NRLW when girls were starting to take up the sport a lot more, which is great. How do you sort of see the move to the 10 teams? We've obviously got the Raiders, the Sharks, the Cowboys and the Tigers coming in. Uh, I tend to think it's really good and it's good that we've waited this long. Yeah, I'm I'm for expansion and there's a part of me that's, you know, cautious of it. Um, You know, I think North Queensland are going to be really strong. They've got a big talent pool up there. They've had an elite pathway system. Plus they've got only one team up north, so they've got a an area there where they can grow and develop. Um, Canberra, you know, I haven't really seen much of them. They don't play in the Harvey Norman competition, which is the New South Wales state competition. Um, so, you know, I don't know what their program looks like. Um, the West Tigers are new to Harvey Norman this year and the Sharks probably should have had a licence, you know, when it first sort of all happened. They've been, you know, some of the leading forefront of, um, women's rugby league in, in New South Wales and Australia. So um, the concern for me is that, um, you know, we're, we're rushing girls that maybe aren't ready. You know, we, we saw this year 
going to six teams. Newcastle had a lot of New Zealand Warriors girls uh, up in their team and they failed to win a game. Um, then you look at next year, you're bringing in four teams. You know, what does that look like now? And, you know, the other part of it is everyone's got the same salary cap, but there's going to be a lot of girls that are getting paid big money to help disperse the talent, which is which seems like a great idea. But then I don't know if you have the same sort of competitiveness and nature that we saw this year. Like this year is the most exciting competition we've seen and we'd all agree on that. You know, does adding four more teams and making it a bit more because you can you can't play until you're 18. So the Tasha Gale is 19s, which is the like the Jersey flag, and then you got the Lisa Fiola Cup, which is the under 17s. So you talk about pathways, the women's pathways hasn't really started yet. You know, we've just they've just been playing, they've been you know, girls have been giving it a go, and then all of a sudden, you know, they might find themselves in an NRLW contract because we're going to have to fill 24 spots and spend our cap. So I see the positives. I see the negatives. Of course, I'm excited at the, at the prospect of a longer season. I think that, you know, the girls can have earned that, but I'm also wary of the fact that it's a huge commitment for a base contract right now because you, you've got to have six weeks pre-season. So everyone says it might be 12 rounds and you might be right, but you've got to have six-week pre-season. Yep. You've got to have... So that's 18 weeks plus grand finals. So you're planning for five months off and these girls aren't on enough to, uh, to quit working mm. just to play. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I understand the expansion. I'm excited for it, but I'm also cautious of spreading that talent thin as well. I'm pleasantly surprised at your um, your optimism, but also your cautiousness because um, I'm someone who's, um, you know, at times people have said, are oh, you being a bit too critical of the NRLW? And it's, it's, I'm not meaning to be critical. I actually want it to succeed. But I'm, I'm very similar to you where I've always preached caution with that competition because to me, if you fail at the start, your ability to get that chance over again is very slim. Yeah, that, so that's, to, to, it's, that's the thing. We're not, we've, we've got to get away from... Um, you know, when, when someone comes up with an idea or says something or has an opinion, you know, especially with NRLW, we're trying, we're all got the, the game at heart. We all love rugby league. And someone, mm. the NRL's been around for 1908 and they still haven't got it right. And they've been going at it for 114 <laughs> years in terms of rules and, you know, um, salary cap and, and all that kind of stuff. And now we've got expansion. NRLW has been going for five years. <laughs> So when yeah. someone comes up with an idea or is cautious or you know, maybe critical, um, doesn't mean that they are bagging the game. It just means that they care about the game and they want it to be. We'd love 17 teams involved in the NRLW and to have 26 rounds and have girls that are on, you know, 100, 150,000 and stuff like that. But viably at the moment and marketably, is it going to be able to work and are the girls going to be able to sacrifice that to for a shot at a minimum contract that's only going to be twenty grand or or something like that because the other side of it is you've got to be able to make money. Yep. It's all right. It's all right expanding the competition. I, I want to expand my unit to have another five bedrooms, but I don't have the money to. <laughs> so I can't. You know what I mean? So and how am I going to generate that money? So you know the product right now is really good it was exciting um the time of the year i think was you know i even tossed up having 16 or eight teams and just have two comps a year 
you know, have it that way, split it in half so the girls can adjust their bodies to playing full seasons before mm. you go into 14 or 16 rounds. Because at, at the moment, you know, five games, my girls were buggered at the end of the season after seven games. Mm. Yeah, buggered. That's interesting. And they had to go and play Harvey Norman the, the week later. Some of them were playing Origin, you know, Friday night. Some of them will come back after the Harvey Norman competition straight into preseason. And I'm ringing them and I'm checking in with them because I'm scared that they're going to be over football, yeah. which will happen because they haven't had this much before. And they know that it's a it's a marathon, but everyone's like, come play, come play, and it's great and it's exciting. You get tired of rugby league. <laughs> Every player gets tired. People get tired of rugby league, really? <laughs> no. If you're a player, you know, yeah. like, the roller coaster of if you're winning and you're and you're not injured, it's great. When you're losing or you're not playing well or you're injured, man, it's a roller coaster. So I got girls that are 19 that are going to play somewhere in the vicinity of 20 games this year. Mm. Yeah, they've never played 20 games before, and it's not the it's not the games are the hard ones to get up for as a player. It's the training. It's the regimental. Getting your body ready, getting strapped, stretching, eating right, all that kind of stuff that goes into it. And don't get me wrong, I love that. I was able to do it for 12 years and I'm very blessed to have been able to do that. But if you just had to play, turn up and play on the weekend, I'd still be playing. But it's not, that's not the battle because the games are easy to get up for. It's that stuff behind that. And I'm cautious of my girls, 19 year olds that are, are tired now, ringing me and I'm checking in on them and they're like, oh, I'm tired. I said, I'm watching you play on the weekends and I'm worried that you're going to come back for season two because you have played so much footy. Yeah, it does make it hard. And it, it's not something that changes really, whatever level you play at. I've been in A-grade park sides and you get nine people to training and then 26 turn up on a Sunday ready to go and play because everyone just wants to play footy. <laughs> Nobody likes the other stuff yeah, as much. Um, so it's not not uncommon at all. Um, you raised sort of a couple of things there that, uh, look, uh, the controversial one that always comes up is um, pay equality. And I don't want to get into too much about it, but we've kind of spoken a little bit about it. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the ones to me where I get surprised that people are so critical when I tell people they need to pump the brakes a little bit because obviously it, it's a big push at the moment for, for equal pay and things. But I, I always I always kind of say two things with that. One of them is have a look at what men's rugby league was in 1913 and see where it was at at that point because you had guys going and doing their plumbing work the next day every day and all that sort of stuff, and it's not dissimilar. You know, and that happens with a lot of sports when they're actually starting to build. It's taken a long time, as you point out, still working and work in progress for the NRL um, to actually get to that point. Um, and the second thing as well is that it's, it, it's, it needs to be treated like a different competition. You know, it, it, and oftentimes I think it's unfair to compare a, a women's league to a, to a men's league because they're just such different beasts in different ways. And in a lot of ways, some of the women's competitions in the, along the world in different sports offer uh, different positives and positives that the men's competitions don't have. But there's also going to be the drawbacks as well. So, it, 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 you know, you're a basketball fan. I bring up the WNBA example. You know, the, the NBA pumped a lot of money into the WNBA to make it work and they probably went too hard too early. It's a successful league now. But you still get comparisons of, uh, you know, Steph Curry earns as much, you know, half of uh, an NBA game as what um, the top female player in the WNBA earns for the season. You know, and it's just, I feel so bad for the girls as well with those comparisons because it's just really unfair to me. Um, And it's just, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Because like you said, it has to be 
it has to be viable in the market. And whatever market you have, that's what you get to use as far as the cash generation. And obviously, the NRL needs to support financially. But you can only do that so far, and it's only in its infancy. So I kind of feel bad for the girls that they get drawn into these type of debates and that they get compared to the men's leagues that have been established for so long. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a couple of ways to look at it. The first one is origin um, and the, the pay scale and stuff like that, which has probably been the, the latest one brought up. Uh, that's easy to compare because um, the men play three games, but the viewership and the marketing off that pays for all of that kind of stuff. Um, whereas the the boards of Queensland, New South Wales, they get their own funding, so they decide on how much to pay. And I think, you know, this year we were given a cap of 350000 for season two. Um, and when you relate to what an NRL reserve grade player is on, part-time, 800 bucks a week, doesn't get paid from November to February because that's part of his training contract. He only gets paid per game. Uh, he's on 16000 Now, he's training from November to October. Um, when we divided up our salary cap for Season 2, um, the minimum contract is 10000 uh, and then you can have it's open-ended like the rest of that, but you've got to manage your cap. 10000 bucks, you know, to a 19-year-old is great cash because I, I was on 10000 you know, in, in Jersey Flag, mm. um, but I was training from November to October yep. uh, and, and still had to work and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, the, the pay scale at the moment, I think, um, and we also need to be cautious that the, the top girls aren't just getting all the cash and you're not paying. Like, yeah, I don't want to pay someone 100000 to, to just play rugby league for five games. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's ways you can market that, you know, and, and make sure that, you know, we understand, that, okay, how are we going to market? Because the marketing is how they're going to get paid, not out of my pocket. You know, I want the girls to have, I want the girls to be on a million dollars, but it's not going to happen at the moment. But the pay scale is, all right, well, what does it look like for everyone? So everyone gets paid. Yeah, I want all the girls to be paid. I want the minimum to be raised. I want the maximum girls to get maximum dollars. But, you know, we've also got to be understand that we don't want to get five years down the track and don't have a game because we've paid everyone. I mean, look at the netball now. How long has the netball been around? Mm. And they've done it the wrong way and got themselves into a messy hole. So, And that's a that's you know, a league as well in a sport that doesn't actually compete with a with the men's no, league. They don't compete. Yeah, they don't compete with the men's league at all. They're the number one sport for females in Australia. Yeah, you know, and they're they're in a hole at the moment. So, you know, I'll, I'll never count another person's money. I want them to get paid as much as possible. But, yeah, you know, I don't want to get to the stage where there's a team that has paid one person fifty percent of their cap, and you got to fit twenty three others in. Mm. You're not developing the game, then that's just you know you're irresponsible to that part of the game. I've been a big proponent of, even at the NRL level, I've spoken about in depth on this podcast about the NRL needing to adopt a more um, American sports, even an NBA uh, contract system, where you've got different minimums for different types of players, different maximums as well, which maximums are a really big deal. Um, I, I shudder for the day that we get in the NRLW as well, like you said, but it will happen in the NRL where somebody will get paid like $1.8 million a year shortly, and it will really kill someone's cap, and it will kneecap a club. Um, and it's similar to what you're mentioning with the NRLW. You know, the disbursement is really important. And who gets played them? Like if you've got someone who's a rookie, 
should they really get, you know, a massive deal more than someone who's been in the league for five plus years as a veteran? You know, to me, the pay scale stuff for contracting um, in the NRL, but also the NRLW, it's always a really simple thing that's sort of a common sense thing to me following American sports that you'd think that we'd get to a point that we'd actually implement, but it's just never even really been spoken about. No, and you're right. You know, the, if you cap, see, like in season one, they capped it, your top players, um, and that sort of dispersed the talent because you had a draft. They had a draft and everything like that. Um which not much was made about, like it was really quiet. Um, but I think if you'd capped the top players, you know, and you had two marquees that were whatever, you can sort of get around that and have it evenly dispersed. And I agree with you. Like, that, you know, if you're a rookie at the moment, you know, your minimums you're getting is 10 grand. And, and you know, some clubs are like, well, we need players. And you, and you start to gamble on players then and it's like, well, you can go out and try and buy a competition. It's like A-grade, you know, out in the bush. You can go out and yeah. buy a competition and you might <laughs> win one that year, but you don't have any juniors coming through. Get Cliffy Lyons and Diva Menzies to come out and stuff. And <laughs> well, I don't know what, how long they've been now, but there was a story. I was in Group 9 out at Wagga, and there was a story maybe 10 years ago, maybe, I'm not sure, but Tumut, uh, Blues hadn't won a title in however long, and the, one of the local uh, fans died and, and left them a hundred thousand to go out and buy a competition. Now, a hundred thousand out in the bush, yeah, you'd be able to buy, you know, probably two ex NRL players, one of them to coach, and maybe some guys that played New South Wales Cup. And they'd be in pretty right. good stead, too. They'd probably only be a couple yeah. of years out of the league, type of thing. That's right. So they win the comp. I don't know where they've been since, I don't know if they've won it since, but you know. I just don't want to get to the fact where we just have two good NRLW teams, you know, and everyone's – because that was what – you know, the thing – the great thing about opening up the cap is that, you know, a lot of the Brisbane girls who took less for season one are like, well, I can get more money here. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's that's the positive of it. Yeah, but the negative is we've just got to make sure we're still developing the game, um, you know, and, and being responsible to it as well. And, and I know that we are. Um, with all the girls that we've got, the leaders within the game, you know, the Millie Boyles, the Kezi Apps, the Ali Brigginshaws, you know, they understand that this isn't, um, you know, their their time. You know, like the girls went before them, Tasha Gale and Karen Murphy and all that, they, they used to sell raffle tickets to get people to come and play. Yeah. That's what to play. So all those girls who I know are doing the right thing, um, but the next crop coming through also need to be careful that, hey, yeah, I'm not going to – I still want to learn the game, but I can't come in demanding X amount of dollars, you know, like the rookie scale in the NFL. If you're a number one pick, you know, maybe the NRL will be looking at a draft. Maybe the NRLW might be the first to start it and do a draft every year. Mm. You know, and that's the way we, we pay scale it or, or something like that. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that we're all working through, but I know the games going forward, like – for everything that I've said that have been positives and uh, pros and cons, the one thing that you won't get from me is, like, the game's in great hands. We just need to make sure that we're doing everything we can. And, and sometimes that means asking different questions and thinking about things a different way so we get the right result. Yep. Yep. We are going to wrap up the NRLW talk in a minute because we do have a State of Origin match coming up apparently on Sunday. But um, I do need to – I'll mention just two things to close off on that before I ask you a final couple of questions. But – 
a couple of interesting things that you brought up. You know, like one of the things that's with the draft, like I actually think it'll be even harder for the NRLW because a lot of the girls, or at least some of them, are going to have families and things. And you know yourself, being a former NRL player, moving your family around and stuff, if you've got one at the time, is you know, hard for a lot of people um, and be particularly yes. hard yes. for mums. So every every club has a, a house that they can go into with families and we have one at the dragons oh that's great yeah that's fantastic i didn't even know about that so that, i mean that's all that's really good i mean with the- most nrl clubs have it mm. but the, the nrl problem is that you're getting kids signed up at 14 whereas yeah the nrlw you could potentially have a database of 20 girls yeah okay well i mean you might have a you know especially some of the girls that are kind of later in their careers now that have sort of blazed away through other sports and come to the game they're going to have fully fledged families and those are you know it's it's hard if you end up because you know there's I guess there's multiple different sorts of drafts I'm thinking more of the expansion type drafts where you have some of the older veterans put into it and stuff and that sort of thing wouldn't work one thing that I've never seen mentioned when you do have the expansion drafts and with the NRL uh, NRL like you did have the Dolphins come in and there wasn't any sort of expansion draft or anything like that but I've always thought that um you just do it in regions and it's never really been discussed like that like if you've got uh, two NRLW teams coming into New South Wales into Sydney and you've got two coming into Queensland. Like it, it makes sense for me to do a Queensland draft and a New South Wales draft because most of the time in Sydney, as you know, you know, you can travel one hour or two and you're going to get to anywhere that you're going to end up playing anyway. So it doesn't really uproot your family and stuff. So, I mean, that was one thing, but the secondary part of that as well is that I, I'd really like the NRLW to get to a point where we're starting to see a few now where you've got the fully fledged, rugby league born and bred girls coming through. Um, whereas like even with your girls, you know, um, you know, Emma just won the Dally M, but she's a sensational rugby union player, you know, and that's probably the threat at the moment is that you, you, you have a lot of um, star players that are really great female athletes rather than female rugby league players. And the risk with that is that they are going to just go and play rugby union instead, or they are going to maybe try the hand of the AFL instead, or they are multi-talented, multi-sport girls. Um, whereas now we're only just starting to see some of the grassroots rugby league women coming through as opposed to coming from other sports. Yeah, well, that I mean, I like the region idea. I think the fact that you could have both Queensland and New South Wales be stronger, um, I understand that side of it. Um, the other part of me says... You know, the Queensland only have three teams or four teams. You know, we had, we've got a six, you know, that we've got to pull from, much like the NRL uh, eventually. Um, and then Newcastle, how do they fit into that? You know, what regions, you know, are actually leading pathways and what, what reward do you get? You know, because at the end of the day, a draft won't happen because of the Harvey Norman and BHP competitions because every girl wants to go there and that's where they learn their craft and then you pick them up there from mm. to go into NRLW. So, yeah, it, ideally the database, all the all the clubs won't agree on it because they spend so much money on pathways. That's why we won't ever get to a draft, whereas colleges in America, they market their stars, they get paid and they don't care. After once they go pro, they don't care. So, yeah, for us, like I said, as long as we continue to develop the game and, and nurture the game and every club has a pathway to the NRLW, I think you're going to have some success. But a draft, I like the regions, I like that. Um, but, you know, we're going to see, you know, tonight, uh, you know, the under-19s, you know, who's stronger, New South Wales or Queensland. So 
what if Queensland have all the talent, you know, and they can't fit them all in? Are we allowed to draft from that area? Or So, like I said, it's, it's still in its infancy. We need to be patient and understand that we're still growing the game and, and looking for sponsors and, and all that kind of stuff so that we can get to a product where maybe we could trial drafting. But I know they did trial a draft with their top players for season one. Um, how that all worked out. You know, we got the two best hookers in the competition in Quincy and Keeley. Um, so that worked out great for us. But, you know, next year, do they bring something like that back in to help? Because that, the, the thing is, if you have, if West Tigers can't get anyone because they don't have a, a marquee player or they don't have someone to get there, what does the rest of their team look like? You know, I hope that the Dragons, we can re-sign everyone again, but that doesn't, help Cronulla yeah. who half my girls at Cronulla, you know what I mean? So it's an interesting time. It's going to be more difficult next year to recruit and sign the right players and a lot more pressure on us as coaches to make sure that we're developing them. Yep. No, it sounds like a really good time to to be in the NRLW as far as um, coaching and the excitement of its growth and potential and everything else. I've never really been a fan on drafts in much of any of Australian sport, really. I, tend to think that we've kind of got it right. You just have to change the contracting structures and uh, how the actual grassroots work. And, you know, I mentioned I was a Roosters fan. We've only got three clubs at the moment. They're considered junior clubs and everyone hassles us for having no juniors. I mean, it's there's a few things that need to be sorted out. But overall, I just don't think a draft is for Australia, but that's a much longer conversation for maybe another podcast. Jamie, last NRLW question before we move on. Who's going to be in the grand final with the Dragons? Newcastle are going to be very hard to beat with Millie and Tamika. Um, they've got Kira Dib. They've got some girls there from last year that are really good. Yeah, Brisbane, Ali, Taryn. Um, yeah, for me, yeah, Ali's probably the best we've ever seen in terms of her mentality. So, um, and then the Roosters re-signed pretty much everyone um, in their back line, you know, for season two. So they're going to be hard to beat as well. If I had to put it down to it, I would say it would be Dragons and Newcastle. Dragons, Newcastle. There you go, punters. Lock that one in. NRLW grand final <laughs> coming on up. Uh, speaking about punters, I just need to take a short break to mention the fantastic sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast in Top Sport. You go to topsport.com.au right now or even download the app, which is super easy to use. If you like a punt, you should be punting with Top Sport. Gamble responsibly, obviously, but Top Sport are 100% Australian-owned bookie. They also have often best odds in market. And for the super coach buffs out there that love listening to the super coach episodes and playing, they've got player performance markets as well, which is basically betting on fantasy sports. So you're going to love that. It's based on NRL stats and you can bet on the over or under on what a player is going to score each game. And they'll have that up for the, the Sunday night footy as well for the state of origin. So go and have a look at some of the odds for that because New South Wales on top sport, I tell you what, very, very juicy if you're a New South Wales fan. It's, uh, it's getting close to even money. Uh, so you get great odds on topsport.com.au. So if you are going to create an account, make sure that you use the promo code from this podcast. That is SC All Stars, all one word. They'll know that you're one of the listeners of the podcast and take great care of you straight up. So topsport.com.au, go get on them today. Jamie, next topic. We're going to have a five-minute run-through of the round that was for round 15. A couple of big takeaways. Um, the first one, look, I'm just I'm just handing you stuff on this podcast, aren't I? The Dragons, they beat the Rabbits 32-12 to 12 for the first game. That was one of the big takeaways for round 15 for me. And it was just, you know, it was just such a, 
not a great game to watch. You know, the, the South Sydney Rabbitohs were terrible the first half. Like, it was unbelievable how bad they were. But at the same time, the Dragons need a lot of credit because for the first half of footy, they were the best I've seen them all year. They were sensational. They were up 32-0 by the 28th minute. They didn't score again, and the second half was a bit of a throwaway from both sides. And all the stats as well, funnily enough, um, were fairly even. Um, yeah, the, the Rabbits certainly didn't complete near as well at 70%. But, you know, things like the missed tackles were around the 30 mark for both sides. And really, you'd look at the stats and go, well, it was a reasonably close game. And even the even the actual score of 32 to 12 really flattered Souths because Souths were abysmal that first half while the Dragons were on fire. Yeah, I've probably um, been on the inner sanctum. You know, I do I work with the NRL back five of the Dragons. So, you know, I felt like that performance for us had been coming uh, for a little while. Um, we haven't played our best in the first half of the season. We started one and four, but the last eight weeks, you know, we've, we've rattled off six wins, and I think that's gone a bit unnoticed. You know, we, we currently sit in the eight. Um, so for us, you know, we played South, I think, the week of the grand final uh, for NRLW, actually, and uh, watched the game, and, and we weren't great that night, but we weren't disgraced. So I think we took some lessons out of that, and the boys prepared really well. And put it put it together. Yeah, you know, we had some guys step up. Um, Talatau and Moan, you know, I thought was fantastic running the footy. You know, Zach had bounced back after what was a tough week in North Queensland. So, yeah, for us, we we felt like that performance was coming uh, against the South Sydney side. That you know, I've got talent all over the park, and we just had to complete at a high rate, and we did that. But um, I was in COVID protocols, unfortunately. Ah, uh, no. But um, yeah, it was it was nice. Uh, I think Hook wants me in COVID stuff all the time. <laughs> so, uh, but no, it was it was good. Benny was Hunt really was outstanding as well. I thought Benny Hunt was outstanding, and I also thought that um, you've missed Ravalawa back in there, and I, I think that um, Rava back in there helps you guys as well. I'm a big Ravalawa fan, and I thought that he him being back there was noticeable too. Yeah, and, and getting your starting wingers back. You know, John O'Rubin and Tao Moga, you know, were fantastic, you know, filling in for, for Matty Fine and also um, Mika. But, you know, you get those guys back and just a little bit of confidence, you know. We, I don't even think we played that well uh, in the second half, obviously. But, yeah, Mika starts your sets off great and we all know what Mika can do and it was nice to see him score a try finally. Yeah, I know. I've got him in my super coach team. I brought him in as a bit of a pod pod play, point of difference. But um, you know, I saw he scored three tries in round one, and he hasn't in ten rounds since. He's got to go over again. I've been waiting patiently, mate. <laughs> yeah, you need to do a bit more work with uh, with him on the the training paddock this week because I might start him in my super coach team. I need another try again. Well, hopefully, hope I don't care who who, who super coaches you. Know, I just want him to keep scoring tries. Yeah, I do too. So we're, we're on the same page with that one. Um, other couple of takeaways, a couple of really exciting games. You know, the North Queensland Cowboys came from behind against Manly and won 28-26. And they did that scoring in the um, 74th minute through Valentine Holmes. And really, they actually scored three tries between the 72nd and 75th minutes, which is massive comeback against Manly. And then you've also got the Canberra Raiders too, who... Poor Newcastle just can't take a trip. They're, they're trying hard, but the Raiders have been playing pretty good footy. And even when they haven't, they've managed to not lose as many games as what they used to by six or less points. And they scored in the 78th minute via Hudson Young, who's been outstanding this year as well and pretty underrated. And uh, those are a couple of really exciting games that uh, I, I think were teams that people probably didn't really rate too much a couple of months ago. But those two games were, were really good and exciting at the end. 
Yeah, the, the North Queensland Cowboys have been outstanding this year. I think the, the way Todd's got them defending you know, for each other is allowing them to express themselves in attack. Uh, so that was an amazing win. I think Manly probably played the best that they've played, you know, apart from that para game. But, you know, they were, they were really good to get the win there, the Cowboys. And then you look at the other one, the Raiders, um, sort of limped home. You know, I, I felt like Newcastle, that's the best they've played in a while as well. And the Raiders needed to be good at home to be able to get that win. So, yeah, both teams, important wins, but the Cowboys won. I think solidifies when, when you're a good team, um, you're defending well. And like I said, you're expressing yourself in attack and, and nothing looks forced or stressed. And that's what you get when you watch the Cowboys. Um, and then off the back of that, you look at the, the Raiders where, you know, they get a lead and they look stressed in the lead. You know, they, they never look comfortable. So um, I think that the Cowboys, yeah, certainly probably the pick of the, the weekend are, other than the Dragons. Yeah, it's a real mental thing with teams and I think it's something that's not spoken about often enough that like one of the things with the Cowboys that actually changes and and that's the perfect example on the weekend is you know even even at the start of this year let alone you know the last two years which haven't been good for them they wouldn't have had that belief at all that they could have won that game but when you have that success for a sustained period of time consistently and even with just a couple of months you've got that belief in being able to win a footy game and you could see that they had that you know they they weren't worried at the 60th minute about being able to win that game. They were confident in what they were doing and how they've played that they could still pull it out. And that's a big difference in the Cowboys of today to the Cowboys of even just, you know, four or five months ago. Yeah, and that's the point of, of Chad Townsend, staying stay the course. You know, the the way that he just kicks him into a corner and understands, you know, when things get rocky, we just need to stay the plan here and, you know, I said to Shane Flanagan last week, you know, they kind of remind me of us in 2010. You know, Dean Young's on the coaching staff there, but just work really hard defensively, you know, turn teams away. And then off the back of that, you know, don't stress too much about the scoreboard. Just keep sticking to the plan. And they've done that. And they've been able to execute some really big wins this year, basically off the fact of turning teams away defensively. And that frustrates teams. And then you can go down there and kick to a corner and, the simple plays become simpler off the back of that. So, yeah, I think that the Cowboys with Chad Townsend, you know, understanding what their best plan is has certainly helped them. Yep. And don't think it's lost on me either, mate, that uh, that subtle mention of the 2010 grand final that the Roosters lost for me. It's uh, <laughs> well duly noted. I'll always remember that one. Um, Canterbury brings down Bulldogs, the last one, and it goes on to the next quick discussion topic as well. You know, they absolutely killed the the Tigers, 36 to 12. The Tigers only had 40% possession, but they've only got themselves to blame with how they played that game of footy. And, you know, it's, I said it last week on the podcast, you got two clubs that have gotten rid of their coaches and the Bulldogs are excelling. And guys like Matt Burton, just by the week, are looking like an absolute superstar. And I really love watching him play. And I've never loved watching anyone kick. Like, I actually love watching him kick, probably since Ricky Stewart. Um, and the Tigers, on the other hand, obviously... I just aren't going anywhere fast. Uh, that was a big takeaway. Uh, the Bulldogs look like they might be competitive for the second half of the season, be able to take something out of this. The Tigers don't. And one of the things that's come up in the last few days is that Luke Brooks is going to get dropped for the next game. I, um, you're, you're a prior NRL half. Um, you had to, you know, 
cop your knocks and bruises at the start of your, your career. Um, you've been dropped before as every NRL player has, and you've got to get up and keep going. Luke Brooks, you know, it's probably about time. And I don't even think it's as much his fault. He's just been in that Tigers side for that long that, you know, they've almost protected him too much at times. So it's not surprising for me that they're going to drop him. But the big thing is now that he's got one year left and depending on the report, you know, it's anywhere between 1.1 to 1.3 million. He's going to be on for the final year of his contract next year. And the Dolphins have been mentioned. Now, another segue for your career, you know, Wayne Bennett obviously helped you a lot and was a great mentor for you and a great coach. And you guys got the the Dragons Premiership over the Roosters in 2010. Um, He would be perfect for Luke Brooks. Luke Brooks is only 27 years of age. There's talk that the the Tigers will pick up the bill for maybe even 800,000 of that contract. To me, Luke Brooks on 400K in a contract year under Wayne Bennett um, with a, a new scenery. You know, I think it's the best thing for Brooks and it probably might be the best thing for the Tigers. And I'd be really interested to see what Wayne would be able to do uh, with Luke Brooks in a different setup. So for me, I think that's a win-win for everyone and it's about time for the Tigers and Brooks to probably move on. Yeah, it's yeah. I feel sorry for Luke Brooks because I actually played against him um, yeah, when he and Moses were together with Tedesco and you know, they had everything there, the Tigers, didn't they? And, and those guys, Moses and Tedesco, have really kicked on and Brooks was sort of left behind. But, you know, the, the thing is that you know, I've spoken to a couple of coaches about Luke Brooks um, and that, uh, the Tigers have really failed to help Luke Brooks be Luke Brooks. You know, he, he was a fantastic runner of the footy who played carefree and, and just kicked and chased and competed. And now he looks stressed every time he gets the ball, like he's got someone watching over his shoulder. So, um, yeah, I think under Wayne, you know, you get someone there, a little bit of tender love and care and and also understands, you know, to look at the game a little bit differently is probably what's best for Luke Brooks. Uh, As for the Tigers, that's probably the worst loss they've had, I reckon, in the last couple of years. And that's that's saying something. So, um, you know, people talk about, you know, can you see the, the light um, and you the dogs, you watch that game Sunday and you're like, man, they're going somewhere. they got kick out, they got Marnie coming, you know, they're going to have a new coach, new ideas. Like they, they actually, it's finally going to happen. Whereas the Tigers, you couldn't really see, you know, this is a totally different side that had Michael Maguire, you know, Brett Kamal has only been there two weeks, but Michael Maguire had them at least playing some sort of footy um, but, yeah, I just feel sorry for Luke Brooks. It's a tough, tough gig. He's still got to perform because he's on that cash. He was on 250 and got dropped. No one would care. Um, but, yeah, he's, I think it's time for a change as well. Yep, and he could be a real value pickup. Um, and certainly, you know, he's been around forever because he debuted so young. But 27 years of age, you know, he's still got so much footy left in him. You know, he could have five good years of footy, but 27 for a half especially, that's really your peak time, right? Like he's probably got two or three years at least of his of his actual peak as a half at this yeah, point. Yeah, well, he's, he's probably, you know, he's failed to understand game management. So when you come into your prime, you know, that your prime is like playing carefree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's mm. the zone, like everyone says, what, where's your prime? Like, you know, my prime under Wayne was 2009. So I was, I was 24, 25. 
but it was just carefree. And, and, and you debuted young as well. Like, you'd been in the league for six years at that point anyway, so halfway through your career. Yeah, I debuted in that five. Um, yeah, so I'd been there for four, five pre-seasons, um, but still hadn't really cemented anything, you know what I mean? He's been around a lot longer. Um, so, yeah, I just think even just getting out of Sydney might help him, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. He needs some different colours. And we've seen other players being able, be able to do this and have this second win in their career. Uh, and I, I actually think that he will. Uh, I think he'll be better off. He might not ever reach the, uh, you know, the, the upper echelon of players um, or certainly never reach the what people thought of him and the predictions when he was a youngster coming through. Uh, but at this point, that really shouldn't be the barometer. You know, if he can play better and improve from the footy that he's played the last five years, then that's going to be a win-win for everyone. And I, I think that he can definitely do that. Um, certainly, you know, you remember guys uh, that, cert- that were around, you know, your timings as well, a little bit like Tim Smith that came through and was a rookie of the year at the Parramatta Eels and then just couldn't follow up in the second year. And he was basically out of the league after a few years. You know, it, it happens so often um, where you see these guys that just can't stick. He's managed to stick. He just, it's really important, this next move for him, and I really hope it works out for him. But we do need to move on. Um, second last topic before we do our legend rewind to close off the podcast. Origin 2. Now, the teams have been names. Um, Jamie, you played in an Origin series. You're a New South Welshman, as I am. Let's talk about the Blues team first because it's obviously the one with the most changes. Um, and, look, I've I've been pretty vocal in my support for the Blues in that I think that um, it's way too much has been made, made out of it. You know, you've got reports saying there's eight or even nine changes and stuff when, in fact, like, you know, to me, like someone like Damian Cook, for instance, is being talked about like a change, you know, he's being, he's a hooker that's going to play probably 60 minutes off the bench. That's, that's nothing different. He's still in that 17 uh, and it's a very common practice for hookers. That's what Queensland did with Harry Grant. Harry Grant's played off the bench for Melbourne and probably you ask most people they're considering the best hooker in the game. You know, that's not really much, that's not a change. And certainly some of the headlines like saying Damien Cook's been dropped and things like that are are a bit silly to me. Um, And certainly even with the wider squad, you know, people are counting, Jacob Saifidi's been counted as a change. You know, he was never going to play. He's there as a development player, really. Pitler's decided to take players across like Gutherson in the extended squad purely because, and he said this, but I don't think enough people heard it, that he wants cover because they're going over to Perth for a week and he wants to make sure that if his fullback goes down, he's got a fullback to slot in, even for training sessions and stuff during the week for preparation, that's important. So, so I don't care about the extended squad changes or anything. I think it means nothing, and I don't care about bench changes to starting. and think I don't think that means much. But the players that have come in and out, let's, let's run the comb, comb over them. I understand what Freddie's done with the changes, and I do like them. I feel a little bit for Katoni Staggs, but I, just, I don't think he really put his stamp on that game. So let's talk about that one first quickly before we hit the forwards, which had the most changes. You know, Burton in for Katoni Staggs. I really like it because I think with all the changes that Fittler made, there was things in the game of the Blues that he wanted to fix. One of the big problems for the Blues in game one was that Cleary had immense pressure on his kicking game. And as a half, you'd know all about that. So I'm interested in your opinion on it. But you know, he had no other options, really. He didn't really have Luai there. Luai is not a, a noted uh, fifth tackle option for kicking. Uh, and he just really, you know, was getting smashed and putting up poor kicks because he was under so much pressure. And his team didn't really help him with that. If you got Burton there, even just as a secondary kicker, uh, that helps immensely for me. And the other thing too is if you use Burton as an attacking kicker, you know, the bombs he can put up and, and everything, you know, that's, it's one of the, it's, he's probably the only player in the league that I think 
uh, back three is scared when he kicks the ball and he can kick it from anywhere and they're worried about that. And I think that that's, that's really great. But he's also got the combos from the old Penrith boys from last year where he was playing centre. So that was, a, that was a great change for me. And I think it also solves one of New South Wales problems from game one. Yeah, well, firstly, you know, Freddie's, this isn't new. You know, Freddie's twice made changes like this in 18 and 19 and, and both have come off. So, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that there were changes and, you know, we needed to be better after game one. So, you know, I look at the kicking game of Nathan Cleary and think back to my experience in game one, 2011, you know, we got pressured kicking wise and, you know, Joey came in and sort of put some structures and told me to get a step deeper and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to do all the long kicking and Junior was going to do it. Junior Pierce was going to do all the short kicking, um, you know, early, early on. Um, and then, you know, our first try was Luke Lewis off a, a midfield bomb, you know, off Junior because we had a bit of a structure to it. So, you know, coming in, I think that now a clearing kick, you know, Burton can get hold of one of those torpies and go back there and rather than Cleary just be an only option, now we've got two options to get rid of the ball and you look at that combination, you know, Origin for me is all about combinations. You know, you've only got a week, it's a short preparation. Um, it'd be like putting on your favourite pair of pyjamas, you know, for Burton. He just goes back onto that left-hand side defensively, they'll be stout. Um, the rest of the changes, the, the cook at Coruscant one, I probably thought might suit us a little bit better because it will give us a little bit of spark. And, and what it does is it takes the pressure off Damien Cook to be able to just come out there and play when the game's opened up a little bit. Um, not saying that he can't do it the other way, but Coruscant, you watch Appy Coruscant, the first 15 minutes of Penrith, it's all off the deck and he just waits for his time. And, and Queensland now are going to be waiting for that, whereas Damien Cook probably tends to come out of dummy half a little bit looking for his running game. Uh, Coruscant's got more deception, more tempo, with what he's doing there. So, you know, I think we've got to give Freddie some credit. He's done this twice before and come up with results before. So, um, but there's definitely certain points of attack where I feel like we might be a little bit more dangerous. The Katani Stags one was interesting because you look at Luke Keery, he's only played one game of origin, you know, after so much hype, but we've got to get Keery and, and it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden it's like you've forgotten, you know, because you didn't get the ball or, yeah, I felt like we could have changed some direction with Katoni, even get him inside the back rower just to get him get the ball because he's such a strong ball carrier. But, um, yeah, Origin 2 is going to certainly be uh, interesting to watch how we not only start the game, but that middle period when Grant comes on and how we combat that with our, with our own attack. You know, it's great to want to stop points and pick defensive players, but at the end of the day, Queensland have picked an attacking side every year for the last 20-odd years and, and been successful doing it. Mm. Yeah, I always I've, I found it funny recently, like pretty hilarious. But you know, it always happens with state to state. They're the little jabs that come in from each state, and you know, people like Corey Parker and stuff. God bless him. You know, think that New South Wales have copied the the hooker structure that Queensland have implemented and come up with. Not that any other team in the history of rugby league hasn't had a bench hooker. You know, had brought on a running hooker to come in fresh after the softening up twenty minutes. You know. Uh, Queensland definitely didn't invent that. But if you ask them at the moment, they kind of think that they did and New South Wales have copied it. But let's move straight into the forward pack. A, a fair few changes there. And, and I actually quite like them because I think one of the things, and it's very obvious because Brad Fittler spoke directly to it, the ruck speed in game one uh, really hurt New South Wales. 
we weren't getting quick play of the balls. It was stifling our attack. It was stifling our time. It was giving the Queensland defensive line far too long to get set. And, you know, we only scored 16 points when really the New South Wales teams that we normally select have a lot more points than that in them. Um, and the ruck was identified by Freddie and how the interpretation of the ruck was during the game by the ref was certainly looked at. Um, and I think they picked the right players to kind of combat that. And I don't think some people really realise, you know, Angus Crichton on the bench, you know, I, I like him because he's a big body that is also pretty fast over that 10 to 15 metre mark and he's got power. And if you have a look at him, he's actually got quick play the balls and he's someone that can dominate the, the ruck as a runner and get those quick play the balls. Uh, Sifa Talakai, perfect X factor. I feel a bit sorry for Madison. I'm a big Ryan Madison fan, but he's not the type of player that can come on and have a, a 20, 25 minute, you know, impact in a game on those short bursts of minutes. Whereas Sifa Talakai not only can, but if you watch him, everyone looks at how many tackle breaks he has, which is great, but he's actually got a huge amount of half tackle breaks where you've got defenders hanging off to the, to the right or the left of him where he ends up with one or no markers. And that's the type of winning in the ruck that you need. And that helps out New South Wales a great deal on probably their biggest deficiency in game one for me. So I think those type of guys being added in the forward pack, you know, some of the other guys might be a bit unlucky. Regan Campbell-Gillard is a bit more of an older style prop, which I think that we've realised didn't work for game one. So we needed to move on. Um, Jake Travojevic, I was pretty critical of people wanting in, in the side for game one. Um, but I'll admit now, I think that his stocks have risen because of the style of game one that we had. He is someone who can get the faster play the balls and can help with the ruck. And as some Manly fans have mentioned to me as well, that are mates of mine, he does hold people down quite a bit, Jakey. So that kind of suits it too. So I feel a little bit sorry for the guys that went out, but, you know, I sort of see it differently to some fans, Jamie. I don't see it as these other guys are being punished or that they aren't any good. It's just that the type of game that we thought might've been there wasn't for those guys. And it doesn't play to their strengths as players. Whereas these players coming in, you know, improving that ruck speed is paramount and those play the balls. And these guys uh, lend themselves to that with how they actually play footy. Yeah, and the other thing that everyone's forgotten is we lost 16-10. We didn't lose 60-10. to 10. Oh, I've said that so many times um, this last couple of weeks. It's a, few, it's a few little subtle changes. You know, Jake, probably a little bit better defender than Regan uh, around the ruck and understands how to work that ruck a little bit more. Plus, he can pass so they can you know, play and get at both fours on both edges um, comfortably through that. It's not sort of bash and barge. Uh, and then, you know, the Angus Crichton and, and Sifa Talakai, you got wrecking ball there in Talakai, but you got footwork and, and understanding what origin is in Angus Crichton. So he's sort of gone probably back to the shelf and got his vintage origin players who understand that arena a little bit more. And it would have been a lot of pressure on Madison um, to be able to step up. And I didn't think he was that bad in game one, to be honest. But you know, if you have a look at Talakai, where he comes on, he could play in the middle and give you 15 minutes, you know, before half time or, or after half time. Interesting to see where he uses him. But, and if we're short of centre yeah, too, like Madison wouldn't give us that versatility either. Well, and, you know, Burton goes into 5-8. If Luai goes down, Talakai goes into centre. You know, so you got to think about these things. Um, but... Yeah, I, I like the Jake Trebojevic. I had him in my team to start with. I had Angus Crichton in my team to start the series. I just think that there's just guys that just understand to get that little extra metre, whether it be with footwork or understanding, you know, what it takes to get that extra inch. And, and when you lose 16-10, you didn't lose off not um, being in the game. You lost off execution and not winning the big moments. And Queen, uh, Queensland won the big moments. 
that's all Origin is. Origin is winning the big moments consistently for 80 minutes. And the big moment might come in the first minute. The big moment might come in the 80th. But Munster and Queensland did that. Yeah, 100%. And I do think that um, what you mentioned before with points in our side, I do think the New South Wales side have more points in them looking at this team. Um, and certainly we only scored 10. We should have had more points in them game game one. But one of the keys is as well the knock-on effect. And I, I, I'm thinking Freddie's thinking, but I could be totally wrong. But you you improve that ruck where you're going to dominate the ruck instead of lose it so poorly. And then all of a sudden you do need to have the team that can take advantage of that and put on points. And I think that we've got a team that can both now win the ruck a lot better and dominate it there, but then also be able to punish Queensland for them losing that ruck, which is partially what they did to us in game one. You mentioned the footwork of guys like Crichton and so forth. And the other elephant in the room really, which I don't think was spoken about enough to start with. And then it was almost spoken about too much after I spoke about it uh, was Nathan Cleary's game. You know, it's not a knock on Cleary. He's one of the best players in the league, but he didn't have a great game. It was fairly poor. But one thing with Nathan Cleary is that I don't think that he's going to play that game again. He's going to be better. And if he was just better game one, I think the Blues win anyway. So just even a Nathan Cleary um, normal origin performance as opposed to a bit of a down one that he had in game one. And I, I think Cleary will learn a lot from that. And I think the structures and things will help him a lot more in game two, knowing how Queensland are going to come at him. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, when Nathan Cleary came into the origin arena and I think he went four or five games without a try assist or a line break assist and everyone wanted him out. And now <laughs> you look at him, he lost the grand final and then everyone wanted it, you know, could he get it done on the big stage? All he's done is win this kid his whole life. Yeah. So when he plays a bad game, everyone's like, oh, you know, should have done more. Should have. Of course, we all want to win. But, you know, like I said, they just won the big moments. Munster comes up with a one-on-one steal on the line, a loose ball. You know, Nathan Cleary can't do anything about a loose ball. Alan Bonger forward um, pass to a try, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but for, for me... Nathan needs to be more composed in the in the big moments and understand, you know, I'll never forget the play he did a couple of years ago when he kicked early for Josh Adokar. Now, they didn't get a, a try out of it. They got a repeat set, but they scored the next set. I think we want to see a little bit more of that from Nathan rather than just waiting to the end to kick and change possession. Um, and plus, his running game is so dangerous. You know, he's a strong body with strong hips that can get through the, the line. So, you know, I want to see him do that a little bit more rather than try and get the ball off Yo. And, and maybe they might do that game too where he goes in the first receiver and Yo's out the back yeah, just to give Munster a different look um, and a bigger body to try and to shut down. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Yeah, I'd like to see Nathan Cleary try and create a little bit more um, and really try and take the game on, which, you know, he's played well in game, certainly last year. I think it was game three. He had a really stellar game. Might have been man of the match. I can't recall if it was two or three. Um, but I, I do want to see more from Cleary at this point. Um, and certainly I think that we'll just automatically see more than what, he, what we showed in game one because I think he's a great young player that will learn from it and improve. The Queensland side, Queensland fans, we're not going to talk about it as much, aren't we, because there's not, there's not hardly any changes and you guys are on top, so you should be happy about that. <laughs> but um, obviously they weren't going to make really any changes aside from the forced ones because you're going to have you know, a winning side back on the park. But the big one is Ruben Cotter. Now, obviously, he's injured now for a month. He might even miss Origin 3 at this point. And Jai Arrow comes in for him. Um, they're going to move Tino to 13. 
and they're going to start Lindsay Collins now. But that's really the main change to talk about, along with Murray to Alangi on the wing. Um, I don't. Coates is obviously a noted try scorer. I really like to Alangi though. Um, I really love how he plays, and he's in a form side in the Cowboys with a lot of confidence. I don't think they're going to lose much of anything with that, aside from him being a rookie in Origin. But the forward stuff, I think, is where Queensland might be a little bit more vulnerable now. You know, Lindsay Collins was fantastic off the bench. I thought he played great. Him and uh, Carrigan off the bench, I think, really killed New South Wales. The the punch that they had off the bench was immense. And just they're both hitting in defence and their running um, was great. One of the things I liked from the Queensland side that they named first up was I really liked Tino at prop um, because I think that it lends itself to origin a lot more, having someone like Cotter in at 13. And Cotter's also someone that made like, you know, 60-something tackles in game one, which is crazy on debut to do that. And I look at this Queensland pack and how they've made it up. And I think that both, they don't have anyone that's going to have that type of performance. Um, They don't have any players like Cotter in there. And secondly, I think if you're asking these guys to to take on that extra work, I wonder whether they're going to have the same sort of impact with ball in hand if they have to do those extra tackles in that pack. So I think it's quite a significant change for Queensland that they've missed out on Cotter for this game two matchup. Yeah, well, he brings aggressive line speed plus the way that he runs the footy and, and, you know, you think about some of the great um, lock forwards that have cleaned up stuff through the middle. I mean, he's like Cameron Murray for, for Queensland in the way that he just gets around the park. So bringing Lindsay Collins in, you know, a big body, I think they sort of wanted Tino to be um, to be able to help that cover of Ruben Cotter. But, you know, the, the Queensland pack just outworked us. You know, the yards and everything, metres game and everything sort of measured up the same. But... They just outworked us and they just kept turning up. So um, Lindsay Collins, I thought, was fantastic on the weekend against uh, Parramatta and, and earned his spot in the side. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that Tino um, yeah, partnership works out. Yeah, so, I mean, the other thing that's really evident when you look at the Queensland pack versus the New South Wales pack too is that the New South Wales has obviously gone for a bit of um, mobility and um, speed, I would say. Uh, Peyton Haas is the only legitimate front rower in the starting side. You know, Jake's obviously more of a back rower, more of a 13, and not really a legitimate prop as far as the old sense of props are concerned. And even off the bench, they only have Junior Paulo coming on, which says to me that they might play either Sifa Talakai, you know, as a front rower even, or, or even Angus Crichton. And that all says to me that they're really going to attack the ruck with speed and also with the agility that they've probably got there. Whereas Queensland have actually gone the other way you know, which might work in New South Wales' favour, I think, because, you know, Josh Papali'i only played 22 minutes in game one, um, but I'm not sure that this style of game if New South Wales can execute it actually will help him play more minutes or be more effective. And Lindsay Collins, as good as what he was, to me is more of a short-minute impact old-school front rower. So you've almost got two different um, coaching thoughts on these forward packs, don't you, Jamie? Like, to me, they're they're chalk and cheese with how they're kind of built for this game too. Yeah, well, you look at, like I said, Queensland picked a real working pack in game one that outworked New South Wales and New South Wales probably tried to go a little bit bigger. So now they've got that mobility, as you said, you know, with Jake Trebojevic there, Sifatalakai, you know, what that looks like in terms of how the makeup of the game, you know, Payne Haas is going to be expected to shoulder um, a lot of the, the heavy lifting early. Um, but I expect New South Wales to play a little bit more expansive with the footy early on to try and move them around rather than bash and barge. And then Queensland, you know, they've sort of gone the other way, as you said, um, and, and gone a little bit bigger based off what they think, you know, you might be able to get the job done. When, when you have Cameron Munster in your side, 
you know, pretty much if you just pick some guys that'll get get you down there, you know, Cameron Munster allows Cherry Evans to be Cherry Evans, you know, so um, I think both forward packs have maybe changed their style of thinking a little bit, but I re- I'll be interested to see how they start the game, you know, do Jake Trebojevic and, and Isaiah you know, get in each other's way or are they able to execute early where, you know, the outside backs are maybe coming in a little bit more and, and getting the set started versus, you know, maybe trying to bash and bars like they did with Regan Campbell-Gillard uh, in that first game. But, yeah, one thing I know is that, you know, I think we see a different New South Wales side ahead of game two. Yep, uh, 100% agree. I think it's going to be a really interesting game and people forget. Uh, and, you know, New South Wales fans have been a little bit down at times on Freddie Fittler. Um, I really agree with you that you know, everyone forgets about, you know, why you're playing a, a Tom Travojevic at centre. When it ends up working, everyone be quiet and you don't see them talk about it again. You know, like Freddie's won three out of the last four series. Got to show a bit of faith. And for Queensland, uh, it's it's also really hard to go up 2-0. So that's going to be hard for them to be up for it as much as what the Blues are, even though everyone's up for origin. You know, this is do or die for New South Wales. So I expect them to really come out firing. Uh, to me, the, the game breaker for Queensland, the guy that you mentioned, Cameron Munster, got to limit him. And for Queensland, um, he needs to fire. And I thought that he was actually quieter than what people sort of gave him credit for in that first half. You know, he was man of the match for sure, but it was really a stellar second half. And things weren't coming off for him or for anyone in that game for normal attack. So he was having to do things like have one-on-one steals and compete and stuff and um, crab around the field and look for options, you know, which is things that I would hope that New South Wales will do. But if we don't let, limit Cameron Munster, um, I think that that's how Queensland are going to be able to win because Ponga, um, and Daly Terry Evans are going to be playing off the back of um, Munster and his performance, as well as Harry Grant for me. Those are the two danger men as a New South Wales as a New South Wales fan, and the two people that I think that can win the game for Queensland if they do get up. Um, Jamie, predictions on the score? I've got New South Wales twenty eight to ten. I know I'm being overly confident, but I really expect the Blues to fire in this one. Yeah, I've got uh, yeah some great points you make about Munster. I've got New South Wales comfortably. I think Queensland short turnaround, knowing that they're going home where they're going to be very hard to beat, um, might struggle with the intensity that New South Wales come out with, hopefully. Uh, but the longer the game goes and it's tighter, you know, Munster's the best player in the world at the moment. So uh, I'm going to say New South Wales 22, Queensland 10. Well, we're very similar there in our predictions. So hopefully as Blues fans, we're both right, mate. Uh, coming in to the last part of the podcast to finish up and that is the Legend Rewind. Now, Jamie, I don't want to embarrass you, but this is normally when we look back at an old ex-player's career and unwrap it a little bit and um, talk about how, how we viewed them as a fan and how we watched them. Obviously, it's going to be a bit different for you because this one, no surprise, is going to be on Jamie Soward. So try not to get too embarrassed, mate, but 215 first-grade games, you should be very proud. Um, you played an Origin Series as well with three games, and you also played a couple of years um, truncated over for the London Broncos too. So, you know, really stellar career. Like you said, 12 years of NRL and a lot of games. I loved watching you come through um, as a Roosters fan as well. I remember the, I think it was a 2004 flag um, grand final with a couple of field goals and a tight Roosters win. Um, but Dalian 5-8 of the year in 2009 also proven summons medal. A lot of, a lot of great achievements in your career um, and nonetheless being able to go for that long as well. I want to have a quick Q&A with you. Normally we just unwrap, you know, what sort of player you know, we saw them as and stuff. For me, I think watching you in the lower grades, you know, you were um, someone who was a great kicker and passer of the footy. Kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Stuart's impact with ball, with how you could organise as a halfback. But you also had a running game 
I think that maybe didn't initially translate as well to NRL and you probably had to change your game a little bit from me looking in. But how did you find your transition from coming into the NRL initially and how did you sort of see your game evolve? Yeah, um, thanks for that. It's probably a bit surreal. I've been retired six years now. Probably didn't think about my career too much until I went back to the Dragons full-time on the coaching staff and, um, yeah, Hook got someone that they got into one of the rookies to read out, um, you know, my stats and stuff like that. So I hadn't really thought about it, but um, I'm very proud to have played, you know, so many games um, and, and obviously won a comp and played State of Origin. But I think my transition into the NRL was pretty tough because I'd, I'd come into the Roosters uh, who played three grand finals in a row and you spoke about the passing and kicking. You know, that was something that I developed and worked really hard on. The touch background helped me with the passing and the kicking was more about, you know, I was left-footed and you know, I, I had a fairly big kick on me and I worked really hard at that. Um, so I sort of honed that as one of my best skills. But the running stuff, you know, coaches would be like, oh, you got to have a run, you got to have a run. And I just... Probably when I didn't think about having a run was the best time for me to have a run. Um, when I forced it, it probably became a little bit forced. And when Wayne came to the club in 2009, he asked me what the five things I was good at. And, you know, typically you're not supposed to, in Australia, you know, brag about yourself or talk about what you're good at. Uh, well, back then you weren't. So I sort of said I didn't know. And he said, well, if you don't know, how do I know what to work on? And I said, well, I'm good at running and kicking and passing and, um, you know, sort of all that stuff. Like thought I was all right at goal kicking and that. And he said, well, just keep working on that and hone your skills on that and, and learn your craft and the other stuff will get you better at, you know, so you can read defensively and stuff like that. So, yeah, the transition probably took me a while to get it, but in 2009, it just all clicked. You know, I just, like I said, I played carefree. I felt like every week was going to be my week, me um, yeah, out in the field and, you know, I just played like that. I played without a care in the world, really, and that's when I probably played my best. Yeah, it was great to watch you at that point, aside from the 2010 Grand Final, which, you know, I need to mention, but uh, that was obviously a massive career highlight. Was that the career highlight for you? Like, if you're looking at your top two or three achievements in rugby league, you know, 2010 Grand Final, I'd imagine, be up there. What about anything else? Um, yeah, well, definitely that would be number one. I think number two is playing State of Origin, debuting at Suncorp. Um, yeah. That's the home of, of origin for me. Um, and then, yeah, probably number three um, would be representing the Indigenous All-Stars. Yeah, not in the first one, but um, the 2008, we played the Maldives before the World Cup between Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, that was a pretty proud moment for me. And, you know, I was able to represent the, the All-Stars a couple more times. But You got to try in yeah, that one as well from memory, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, in the first one on the Gold Coast, but this one was at the SFS. Uh, so, right. Yep. And um, where I'd watched, yeah, '94 Grand Final, like that for me playing there, representing my culture and my heritage was a special occasion. So, I'm um, lucky enough to have played in some big games. World Club Challenge is probably up there as well. Beating Wigan in Wigan, um, yeah, is obviously hard at the best of times, but we were able to do that. So, yeah, it was good. Well, last couple of questions to finish up on, mate. Um, first of all, you played with some, you played against some all-time greats. You know, who were the top players for you, or the hardest players for you that you had to play against in your career in the NRL? So, 2011, when the State of Origin series happened, and we were both singing the national anthem, 
Queensland had Cameron Smith at nine, Thurston at seven, Lockyer <laughs> at six, Inglis at centre, Slater at fullback, and Cooper Cronk off the bench. Insane. So um, that's probably sums it up, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was going to guess that, but I thought I'd let you say it instead. Um, <laughs> I, I don't love remembering those uh, those origin years, Peter. Got to got to remember this a little bit. Um, look, last one. What about your teammates? You know, what are the teammates that stick out for you, either for you know best players that you've played with, or just guys that you just love playing with? You know, is there any that stick out for you? Yeah, I think. Well, Brett Morris, I think, is the best winger to have ever played the game. Um, Preaching to the choir there, mate. I've I've tried to get people to get on the the Brett Morris greatest winger of all time bandwagon for several years. Yeah, he's yeah speed, finishing ability, but what he did defensively and and the way he reinvented himself at the Roosters, I think, for me, typified Brett. Mm. Um, yeah, he became a, a big game player early on in his career. Um, he was one of the stalwarts for Australia during that dominant period and New South Wales. Even though we were losing series, he was still on the team. Um, but then when he went to the Roosters, he just became this amazing person that just read the game and, and a real student of it. Uh, and the other guys, Bo Scott, you know, he was a real tough nut who never really made me feel bad for missing a tackle, um, which was huge for my confidence. And and one thing that Bo always said is, you know, I don't care if you miss tackles, just get your body in there. And yep. that for me, yeah, when you have guys like that beside you, it, came, it became easier when Gaz came back because, um, yeah, Bo ran that right edge. So we all answered to Bowie. And, um, in defence and then attack-wise because, you know, I'd, I'd given him what I could in defence. He trusted me in attack and were able to get it done. So, um, yeah, I think those two guys. Well, Sowie, not many people get to have 215 appearances in the NRL. 25% of the time pretty much you scored a try and scored 1,280 points. So that is a stellar career without even talking about all the rep honours that you've got there and playing in, in England as well. So, mate, well done. I know it's always probably a bit embarrassing to look at yourself as a bit of a legend rewind segment, but you've done well. Um, and uh, good luck with the the Dragons women's team next comp. I hope you guys win it. And uh, thanks very much for taking the time to jump on the podcast and chat some footy with me. No worries, mate. All the best. And uh, yeah, it's good talking to you again and um, good luck for the rest of the year. So everyone listening, you can tune in just about everywhere for this podcast, but certainly iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Audible and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And also make sure that you hit up the sponsor of the All Stars podcast in Top Sport. Topsport.com.au, use the promo code SC All Stars and they'll take great care of you. But we will be back on Tuesday with the Supercoach episode recording, which will hit on Wednesday for all the Supercoach nuts. And the end of next week, we'll have another Talking Footy episode and we'll be dissecting Hopefully a Blues win or, you know, maybe for the Queensland fans, it'll be a Queensland win. Who knows? We'll wait and see. Thanks for tuning in. Can't wait to chat more footy with all of you guys and girls very soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get 